So, Chad, let's talk some movies. Welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian C. Wood. With me this evening is my good friend and co-host, Chad Metz. Welcome to another weird, wild, and wacky week in the world of genre movie news. Sir, I have seen a commercial shot entirely on the iPhone 13 that has made me question reality. What, what commercial is this? There's a commercial of a little girl building a snowman and having her brother knock down all of the snowmen. Oh, oh this commercial. <laughs> this, this commercial. Because you have you seen the end of that commercial? Because the end of that commercial is horrible and terrifying. There's okay. no way that little girl does not get scarred for life by the end of that commercial. Okay, so the commercial, the I saw it the very first time it aired. I think it aired on Thanksgiving Day during the parade. And I was sitting alone in the bedroom with that on. And I just kind of glanced up and I'm like, okay, this is this is kind of sweet. And the minute that bike smashed that snowman, I lost it. They were like, what are you laughing at? And I'm like, it's the commercial. And I rewound it. And my daughter was like, mouth agape, just like completely shocked. My mom was sitting there laughing with me. And I'm like, this is hilarious. It's real messed up. It's really good storytelling because in that 30 seconds, they got me to care about this little snowman, this little and her and the little girl's relationship with him and how special he was to her. And the end is so it's supposed to be so warm and heartwarming. She's putting back out. He's gonna make it, he made it a whole year. He's gonna make it there through the whole summer, the Christmas, and no. He, he took him camping. She took him camping, Jack. She put him in the ice, just took him camping. It was everything was so sweet, but but early in the commercial, they showed that little dude riding that bicycle back. That should have been your warning. And as soon as he gets planted in the ground firm, and they show his little snowman smile, just crush and her and her face, that split second of her face where it's just shock and horror and all the realization all in that one thing. Like that kid, that kid's gonna make it because that was a great shot. Yes, I've seen that commercial, and yes, as you can tell, I am very entertained by it. I can't say I like it because it really is horrible for that split second. Applause to Apple for shooting a movie, a commercial completely on the iPhone 13 that has psychologically scarred children all across the country. Yeah, I didn't realize it was shot on the iPhone, but God damn, that was a good commercial. I mean, think of the parents, man. Think of the parents just standing out there in the cold, being happy that their child's finally taking this thing out of the freezer so they can put their steaks back in it. Yeah. I mean, if I was a parent, one, if I let my kid do that, I mean, it's a bit much. Maybe take it to the outside freezer, but, you know, whatever. But if I watch my kid watch this snowman for a whole goddamn year and to see it blow up in a bicycle tire... (laughs) I'm probably pelting the kid that ran out, like, got out of there. Like, he's getting a bag full of snowballs. I mean, there's also the fact that the uh, the brother doesn't really get punished for knocking all the other snowmen over. I, I, I always just took that as, okay, he knows that 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 uh, winter is coming to the end, so why not knock all the snowmen over? But she clearly only cared about the young one. That's the one she wanted. I guess it was a whole family of snowmen. He had wiped them all out. She saved a little orphan. And that makes this story even worse because it was an orphan, the surviving orphan, and he got blown up. (laughs) Very disturbing, Chad. Very disturbing. So, Chad, uh, before we talk about the Spider-Man and all of the things that make you extraordinarily happy as we lead into this Thursday and and the screenings of Far From Home, of No Way Home, uh, I wanted to talk to you about the news that broke this weekend about Warner Brothers dealing with another DC with a DC movie screening not one but two cuts of the movie with two very distinct differences, one including the Joker and one not including the Joker. Your thoughts, sir, on this news that they are screening separate cuts of the Batman? I have to wonder. If the Joker is in this movie, and it seems that he is, and Matt Reeves wanted him in this movie, then he's going to be in this movie. So I have to wonder if I'm him, 
why are these morons doing this? Like, pick one. If he's, if the Joker's in the movie, but you want to screen it, show the whole thing, and just be prepared that people are going to say the Joker's in the movie. If you want to hold the Joker, but still want to screen it, and Matt Reeves is fine, and apparently he's probably not in the movie enough to make it a really big thing that he's not in it, just cut him out and you save yourself the headache. And we and we and we won't find out until we get to the movie. Yeah, there might be a small whisper campaign, but nobody will confirm it because nobody has seen the goddamn movie to tell you one way or another that the Joker is in it. This we'll talk about Spider-Man later, but it's kind of similar to that. We all quote unquote know that we're getting three Spider-Men in this movie. But nobody has said it. Nobody, if anybody's seen it, they haven't said it outside of uh, the one YouTuber that thought he had fake stuff that put it on the internet and then found out that it was real. Allegedly, nobody has said anything about it. That's all you got to do. Not not acknowledge the people saying that it's in the movie and just let it go about your merry way. Just don't show the cut with him in it. But it's Warner Brothers, and they can't help but get in their own way. So they've got to have this, yes, he's in one. Yes, he's not in one. Which one are we going to show? Eh. I hate them. I hate them so much. It just doesn't make very much sense to me, especially for it to get out in a trade three months before release. Like, it, what, what good does it do for your movie? Because Because you're not using Joaquin Phoenix. Like, you're not bringing that Joker into this movie. So it would be another new actor playing the Joker in another new interpretation. So what good does that really do for you in a movie that has been, to this point, Riddler-focused in its marketing campaign to kind of just throw out in the trades, oh, by the way, there might be a Joker in this? So being that it's reported in the trades, that means that it was purposely leaked you would think it was leaked like officially, like officially, unofficially from Warner Brothers. Uh, I can't imagine that somebody would be would be officially that stupid to say it to the trades. But again, I think they're morons, so I can't put it past them. What that what I get from that is that um, you know we in the past we've heard about all the leaks coming out of Warner brothers were always because of different camps wanting different things. So they would leak what the other camp was doing to, uh, to get traction and then they can gain power and whatnot. It sounds like there's a little, it sounds like a little bit of that's creeping back in. If it's, it's going to the trades, I mean, somebody in Warner brothers decides to leak this to the trade, knowing they have to know the reaction is going to get, and it's going to be overwhelmingly like viewed negatively that they're going this way about it. So there's no, there's nothing to gain from it unless you want to embarrass the people making the decisions. But how does it embarrass them exactly? It seems more like a creative decision. It seems more like a, a Reeves decision. Do you want him in there? What do you don't want him in there? And Again, the entire marketing campaign has been Riddler focused. Like that's where their their is that the stuff has been. It's been with Falcone, it's been with Penguin, and it's been with Riddler. And we know other villains are in it. I mean, we've been guessing about a um, long Halloween type plot um, to this movie where he, you know, different villains have different clues, and he has to build the case and and figure it out from there because Reeves has been on record as saying that he, he wants to do a world's greatest detective movie with Batman, which he had, which has not been done on screen. You got a little bit of that in The Dark Knight, but not a ton of it. Um, so why would you go out of your way to be like, oh, we're screening two cuts? Like, I don't, I don't understand how that benefits you as a studio. I don't have, understand how it benefits your film. And I don't understand how it benefits the marketing of the movie. And again, we're three months out, four months out. So, like, you know, marketing for this thing will really start about the beginning of the year after the first of the year. So, like, why do this now? This doesn't make any sense. 
So uh, what I mean about embarrassing is, so there's a couple scenarios, but let's say Matt Reeves is just, I mean, he shot it. He probably wants it in the movie. If it works in the movie, he's probably, that's probably what he's gunning for. And if that's the case, then he knows, then uh, he goes to the studio and everybody knows how people feel about the Joker. Joker elicits a strong reaction and people want to see the Joker. When you say you're going to have a new Batman movie, almost immediately it's like, so when are we getting the Joker? If they know that and they're like, okay, but we won't tell, we won't, we'll put the Joker in, but we won't tell anybody. We want that to them to experience that in the theater. And if Matt Reeves says, I want them to experience that in the theater. Uh, and then Warner Brothers is just, just decides, well, we need to get people to, we need to screen this, see what's going on, to see what needs to work. But we want to call the Joker. So, okay, let's cut him, let's cut him out. If he's not that integral to what's going on, we can cut him out and still get the same, same feel. And somebody else is like, well, let's keep him in and just tell people not to say it. The fact and the fact that the, whoever's making the decisions, if they're like, if they're trying to split the baby like this, and somebody else on the side that would like to be making the decision sees that, it's like, look at this weak stuff. If people knew that we had the we we decided to run it this way, people will have strong feelings about it. We have strong enough feelings about it that we're talking about it right now, and we're not talking about it in a positive light. So that person on the side has just created this this whole created the conversation about this movie, not in a way the people that really want this movie to succeed want it to happen. So that's that's the embarrassing part of it. That's how so if the people that are pulling for this movie make these decisions and I can make them look bad, then maybe it can help me advance. That's that's what I see happening when you have these little side things just, going to the trade. Really, it was just really weird, man. Like I, I'm picking up a Hollywood trade, a Hollywood reporter note about Batman on my phone, and I'm going, okay, so we can neither confirm nor deny which version of the movie we'll actually see. But we've heard from reliable sources that they're screening two cuts, one with the Joker and one without. Okay. Like, there are plenty of movies that have screened versions that didn't actually end up on screen. You know, you know, it, it, Marvel does it from time to time with friends and family screenings. I mean, everybody has screenings of movies and they add in stuff and take stuff away. It's called editing. <laughs> it happens on every movie. Character decisions happen on every movie. What was our girl's name? Felicity Jones, who was cast as Black Cat, was supposed to be in Amazing Spider-Man 2 was screened in cuts of Amazing Spider-Man 2 and ultimately was basically cut from the movie. I mean, it happens. It's not breaking news on an, on Hollywood Reporter. And that's the part that like is confusing to me because up until this point, Joker had not been a point of conversation about this film. Up until this point, the only thing that had been a point of conversation about this film had been Riddler, which is the first real time you, that the Riddler's been a focus of a Batman story since Batman Forever, and Penguin and Falcone. That was it. That was the main focus. And Riddler, Riddler's the focus so much that like the displays in the theater have a riddle inside of them. So like that's clearly the direction you're trying to head. So like, why is Joker even a thing that's coming up? Because he's big and flashy and his name is recognizable? Because like I don't get, like, the only way I can figure out this makes sense is if you're like, oh, well, if people know the Joker's in it, they might be more liable to go see it. But the thing is, like, we're not in the crunch time of the marketing cycle. You know, we just had the crunch time of the marketing cycle for No Way Home. Like, we spent time on this podcast talking about would they reveal the other Spider-Man or would they not because of concerns about ticket sales. Now, obviously, the data told them that as soon as tickets went on sale, they didn't have to worry about showing you anything else. But we're two months from tickets going on sale for this movie. Like, 
you know, we're not even close to that point in the marketing cycle. So why are we making these decisions now about leaking that the, the Joker might be in the film or might not? It, it just makes no sense to me. Like, you respect the director, respect his vision, and just go with it, man. Because that's the that's the version of the movie your marketing department is is pushing. No, no other Batman character outside of like Batman himself garners the the attention that the Joker does. So it's not an apples to apples comparison. But let's say, let's say there's a, a we were, instead of talking about a Joker scene, we're talking about a Two Face scene. There's a version of this movie that has Two Face. There's a version of this movie that does. We will probably still talk about it because we know who Two Face is, and. We know we hadn't seen him since our, since uh, since Aaron uh, Eckerhart in uh, Dark Knight. Yeah, so we would talk about it, but it wouldn't get as much run. Like, I didn't go out of my way to find the story, but because it was the Joker, it was one of those things that actually got sent to my phone through one of those other random things. So. If it's Two-Face, it probably doesn't register as much. If it's any other character, it doesn't register as much. But because it's the Joker, people know that if they put this out there, it's going to get run. And it'll further, it could further their their objectives, whether that's good or bad. I don't see, like you, I don't see advertising this for the movie right now. I think there's enough positive feelings about this movie going forward so you don't need to put the joker in there you tell people the joker's in the movie after the movie comes out to get those people that were on the fence about going then you put the joker in there. it's like oh the joker's in here okay maybe now i really do need to go see it i can't wait for it that's that's how that kind of marketing works so to do it now it just reeks of all bad intentions indeed so, Chad, let's switch gears and talk about Marvel. Let's talk about the last two episodes, episodes four and five of Hawkeye. Um, the episode entitled Echoes, which, is, which fully fleshed out Echo and was roundly praised as one of the best episodes of any of the Disney Plus series Marvel's put together this year. And then uh, we're partners, aren't we? Um, the fifth episode, the fourth episode in this uh in this saga your thoughts sir on episodes three and episodes four of hawkeye so i'm in general i'm really enjoying uh the hawkeye series to steal not to steal an unoriginal thought uh, it has a lot of uh lethal weapon vibes with one old experienced partner and one young enthusiastic um one enthusiastic partner uh I thought episode three was really good. I particularly like the introduction of Echo, uh, starting with her as a child in a school, in a regular school, and seeing the challenges she has as a, uh, I think she's actually, I don't know if they call it mute or, but she, she has to, she, she uses a sign, and when you see her in the school, she has to see who she's who's talking to her to understand what they're saying and how that was challenging for her, particularly when people didn't respect that. I don't, well, to me, that first scene, I take it as uh, if the teacher, I don't think the teacher knew. Uh, otherwise, that she, that teacher is like overly crappy because she clearly just did not care about the child. And seeing how she had to deal with that challenge and how her family lived because she she wanted to go to a special school, but she couldn't. And her dad is, because of that, her dad is like, this will make you stronger because you have to learn to deal with things, basically. I love that introduction. I love that it opened with uh, the subtitles for her signing. Um, I think that's, as, as representation goes, I think that's a really strong message that Marvel sent there. The overall episode itself, again, I like the, the partnership between Kate and Clint. Um, and the this is the one with the, the, the car chase and how that progresses, the conversation they're having, and the fact that they bring up the trick arrows 
and you see most of the trick arrows. I know people, myself included, got a kick out of the last trick arrow used, which had the big, uh, well, the big glowing PIM letters on it. And you're like, oh, oh, we're going to we're going to get some fun stuff. Apparently, this is a shot from the comic, too. So people that read the comic really knew it. I didn't know it. I didn't read it. But when I saw it, I'm like, oh, I know how this is about to end. And that was really fun. So I've that was probably the best episode for, you know, it's a little exposition heavy. But the, again, a different side of the relationship with Clint and Kate when they do, when uh, she's trying to, make him feel better and gives him the the Christmas night that he's missing with his kids right then. And, uh, and also her figuring out that he is growing that connection and the, the way she's gone over and beyond in that moment and how Clint appreciated that thing that really goes to further their relationship. But none of that means a damn because uh, Yelena shows up and messes that all up when, when she tries to kill Clint as well as Echo's trying to kill Clint and Kate. And now we have um, a little cliffhanger going into the next episode. Again, we only have two left, and there's a whole lot to deal with. We've got to deal with Elena. We've got to deal with what's the stupid watch, uh, Echo and Ronan. And then who is the mysterious uncle, and how far up the chain does he go? And that's not even mentioning uh, Jack Sourceman, the fiancé, as well as Kate's mother, who I don't think is clean in all this either. We have to get through all of that and still get Clint home for Christmas. It's a lot. It is a lot, indeed. Um, my thoughts are, I love the introduction to Echo. I'm interested in how you're going to do the heel turn, the face turn here, um, because you've run her down. You've made her sympathetic, but you've run her down some pretty hard roads here. I mean, she is, you know, the silent alarm goes off and she's looking to take Hawkeye and Kate Bishop out. Like, not just like kind of take them out, completely take them out. So like, you know, that's a concern. How you face turn her is a concern for me, considering she's going to have her own series. Um, the other part of it too is um, I love the car chase scene. The Pim arrow was great. Um, the banter back and forth was great. Um, the you know the 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 whole the having the Christmas movie marathon um, by cleverly hiding the non Disney titled movies and plainly putting out the Disney titled movies was great. The um, dime trick or the quarter trick is going to end up coming back. We all know that at some point in some form or fashion, but that was cool. Um, and him admitting that he's Ronin and her just kind of forgiving it really quickly was kind of weird to me, but I get it um, with what you're trying to do there. Um, also, I love the fact they referenced K&B Toy Store uh, because me and you were both old enough to remember Nickelodeon's uh, uh, big toy sweepstakes, which was all about making a super toy run uh, through a K&B Toy Store. We only had the one here in town at Cortana Mall um, so it was nice to bring back those childhood memories for me with the Draxu Mafia using an abandoned K&B toy store as a hideout. Um, my biggest problem with the fourth episode is, and I'm sure you saw my tweet about it felt like Survivor Series and the Oscars. Well, what, what do those two things have in common? Well, Survivor Series promised the rock. It used clips of The Rock. It was The Rock's 25th anniversary. Taker had shown up and for his 25th anniversary. Um, there have been rumors. There, there still are rumors about a potential Rock, uh, Rock versus Roman match at WrestleMania in April. Like, it felt very much like, you know, the fact that Roman versus, uh, that, that, that Roman versus E was going to end the night um, when you could have easily ended, ended the night with the two women um you know fed into that and so you felt like you were watching the entire pay-per-view assuming the rock was going to show up at that at the end of that pay-per-view and then you end up at the end of that pay-per-view and there's no rock and you feel like your hand has just been held in for no reason and the same way with the oscars we sat through the entire academy award presentation 
you heard me text uh, Jim on Oscars night. Have you? Can you ever remember a time where Best Picture was second to last, not last? Because like it was such an unusual move. But we all assumed the move was made because they were going to give Chaswick Bozeman his Oscar posthumously, and it was going to be this big emotional swell of a moment for the ending of the show, right? And then we get to the end of the show, and there's a videotape presentation of Sir Anthony Hopkins accepting his award and everybody going like, oh, and questioning Steven Soderbergh's uh, directing choices. Um, I felt kind of like this in that I don't like it when Marvel holds the audience's hand. And from the beginning of the episode to the end of the episode, with a number of Black Widow name drops, <laughs> it just was like they were hitting you over the head with, remember that Black Widow movie? Remember that Black Widow movie? Remember Black Widow was the character? Remember them, you know, Natasha, you know, falling to her death and Clint not being able to catch her? And you remember this? And you remember this music cue from Endgame? And it was like hitting you over the head with Black Widow. You know, the shot I never took, uh, all that stuff. And I felt like it overwhelmed the episode. I felt like I was less enjoying the, the Christmas party and the elevator exchange with her and the old man and all of that because I felt like it was, the episode was just overwhelmed with Black Widow is coming, Elena 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 is here in show. Like, at least they paid it off and they didn't just, like, tease her throughout the entire show and then not show her. But, like, still, man, I don't need you to hold my hand the entire way and just lead me to this conclusion. Yes, I saw set photos. Yes, we knew that she was on the cast list from the beginning of the movie, of the show. Yes, we knew the tag from a Hawkeye from a Black Widow had to be paid off. Yeah, we knew all those things. But you didn't have to go out of your way to go, Black Widow, shot I never took, Budapest. Varamir, Endgame, Elena, end of show. So, I get you, I get you on the Black Widow stuff. I, at some at, at some point, I did feel I kind of felt that same way that you know, okay, you keep saying it, you keep saying it. Leading up to like, particularly in what the fourth episode. Oh, no, maybe it's because I've heard them say it so much. I just like tuned it out, or maybe like when he when he's telling Kate about it, it doesn't feel to me like we're just trying to beat you over the head with Black Widow. It felt like a natural part of the story because he's they're sharing a they're sharing a moment, so he can be open at that point. And in him being open, it is a a Black Widow thing. Uh, so I get. In particular in that instance so i don't know it's i'm gonna have to watch it again maybe i can pay attention and see if it really is like maybe i just tuned it out at one point it just it, it worked better for me in the fourth episode and it has not worked for me in some of the episodes particularly like the first and second one but the the fourth one it worked for me just because of where we were with kate and clint yeah, I also didn't think the choreography on the third, the fight on the rooftop was very well done. I think you kind of lost geography there to some extent. And I think part of the reason for that was the Black Widow costume. The, you know, Shadow Monkey uh, costume, which is all black. And you don't really get a full understanding of who she is or where she is until you see her fire off the red beam. Once you see her fire off the red beam from her, from her arm, you know who it is. And... You know, it just, I don't feel like the choreography for that final fight in the episode four was real, was done well at all. But again, I just felt like they were hitting me over the head with Elena, 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 hey! I mean, I'm glad they did the thing Vince and Steven Soderbergh didn't do, which was give me the thing you promised me for, you know, an hour or for 35 minutes. But, you know, and by the way, the mother's not clean. And I don't know that the dad's dead. So there's that. <laughs> I think Dad's dead, but uh, yeah, Delicious she is. Don't fall out of the sky, Chad. It's very convenient that he died in the Battle of New York. I mean, that's at that point, it's like an act of God. I mean, she couldn't have coordinated that much stuff. 
But yeah, no, I don't she think coordinated. But maybe they're like, oh wait, you can pretend to be dead. We can now collect the insurance money, and all of our money troubles magically go away. So just stay down here in the study. <laughs> it's. I don't think it's that, but I think it's something else. Wait, hold on. You turn on. Yeah. I mean, he could. Huh? It could conceivably be that, but I mean, I just don't think she's clean. I mean, she makes a phone call saying after she realizes Hawkeye's on the case, huh? she's like, we got a problem here. And I'm assuming she's got a problem. She's on the phone saying, we got a problem here uh, to Kingpin. That's who I assume. But, you know, she very clearly gets on the phone to somebody who's like, we got a problem. Because an, an Avenger's on her case. I mean, I guess that could be Kingpin. Because, you know, that's that's the other big thing. It's like, is Kingpin really in the series? Are we really going to see him? Is he actually, um, actually yeah, let's, uncle? Let's, let's clear something up here. Kevin Feige, saying what Kevin Feige did about Daredevil, is done for one purpose, and that's the Spider-Man movie coming out next Friday. That's why that's done. That has nothing to do with with Daredevil or with uh, with Hawkeye. That has everything to do with with No Way Home. Well, so I mean, people trying to say they're trying to cram Kingpin and uh, Daredevil into Hawkeye are just not oh, with it. Yeah, no, Daredevil's not showing up for Hawkeye. No, no. Uh, I mean, if we get Kingpin, I I think we see him. I don't think we get much with him. Uh, Post credit thing. Yeah, that's that would be my thought. But there there still is a potential that they could be teasing it as Kingpin, and I think Kingpin is actually the uncle in the comics. But story wise, it could very easily be just that it's Jack. Uh, I I would rather have Kingpin back and have like jack be working underneath him but yeah i just don't think the i don't think the d'onofrio tweet was was by accident i just don't i know it i think it makes sense especially in light of Faye's uh comments to to bring both of them back and if it worked out that this is a story you want to tell and that both of these things are going to be released like pretty much right next to each other uh, do do the tweet, make the make the comment, and let everybody be surprised when one happens and you kind of told them, and the other one happens, and it's you know story wise uh, the right thing to do. Indeed, I just like I said, it'll be interesting to see. They've got a lot of spinning plates. Um, the one thing I will say is I feel like they set up everything perfectly because they brought up the the Christmas party. And it's fairly evident to me that the end of the series is going to be, you know, him at the Christmas party, uh, the company Christmas party, trying to work all this shady stuff out with shell corporations and the other in the like. Yeah, because remember we see in the trailer all the uh, the shots of him in a, in a tuxedo and him climbing out in Rockefeller Center onto the Christmas tree and all that. I think that's all from the Christmas party finale. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because she remember she sets Kate, Kate down and you know, tries to get Kate's help with the planning of the Christmas party and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that, that there's a reason they mentioned that. I can dig it. Well, we only got a couple more days of waiting to see. Indeed. So, Chad... Amy Pascal, is she lying or is she not lying? She has now officially been denied by Sony. So is she lying or is she not lying? Again, I said it when this all first happened, like she can't possibly be this dumb. But uh, what my bill, what I think is the best case scenario is that Sony is waiting until the movie comes out to say, okay, this is what's going to happen. And it will prove that Amy Pascal is not a liar. And if that, that is the case, that means as soon as she said those things publicly, when she went back to Sony, they were like, um, what the hell were you thinking? And not so kind words and said, 
and told her, you're messing up the plan. Now we're going to make you look stupid until after the movie comes out, when which will be vindicated. Yeah, because I've read several interviews and heard several interviews with her that have been conducted after that Fandango article. And she's very, been very blatant about, I've been, I'm a, I, you, I have to answer questions like a politician. I have to be very careful with what I say. And it's like, there you go. That's, talk to Kevin. Kevin can fill you in on how to do that. That's, what you don't do is what you just did. <laughs> yeah. You said too much. Say less. That's all you gotta do. Say less. And was done unprompted. The interviewer didn't even ask you. That's what we call an unforced error, Amy. And you literally like put your star in the middle of it too, because now he's gonna go do press about. Oh, you're really gonna do three more Spider-Man movies? <laughs> yeah. See, and I, I don't even know if they say three more. Like they, they'll probably say, "We're planning our next Spider-Man adventure with Marvel and." Uh, many more from here once it's all over but setting in a number at three is i don't know i don't know if that's what they're going to do but then again last time they had a deal they did say specifically how many number of movies they were going to do i think they'll leave it more open-ended this time i just think it'll be an interesting thing for amy to have to walk back comments if it all turns out to be the, the only thing i can figure out chad is is like you said she wasn't supposed to say anything till after. And yeah. my guess would be, honestly, Chad, that right before she got on that interview with Fandango, the deal had been finalized. And it was fresh on her mind, and she was super excited and pumped about this because she had made comments to Vanity, what was it, GQ or Vanity Fair or somewhere, where she was like, I want to make 100 more with him. I've told him this, all these things. So, like, it's very possible to me, I could see a scenario where she got the information in the call, it got confirmed. And then not too long after she hops on this interview with Fandango, the guy says, it's a shame this Marvel deal is coming to an end. And she was just so overjoyed with the information that she couldn't, couldn't contain herself basically and let it out. And then, you know, you the plausible deniability is gone. And so now Sony has to make a statement and they've got to appear to have Tom Holland's back and it's just a whole big mess. I mean, if that's how they go, I don't necessarily blame her. It's like, um, I just got to win. Like, you know, I got to take on, I'm taking all of my wins. This is a huge win. I want to let everybody know that I won. I won. I did this. I made sure this happened. Yeah, because the Spider-Man deal, all the details that are in the book are very much pro-Pascal. So, I mean, I, I get it. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, yeah, I, I get it. That's probably the best way to say it. I get it. Shouldn't have done it, but I get it. So, Chad, the Green Goblin in uh, Raimi's movies does not have the hood at any point, correct? No. So why does the man have a hood? Are we just going to say that this is William Defoe from a different timeline? No, 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 no. Like... No, no, no. The... So, because the hood, the hooded, the hooded version of William Defoe looks like Rumps, uh, Rumpelstiltskin from Once Upon a Time. Okay, so this is not a spoiler for anybody out there, but this is just from piecing together watching the trailers. Um, all of those villains are pulled in, and um, I don't know about I don't know about Electro because he's not he's not blue, so excluding him, but. We've seen Doc Ock, and we've seen the Green Goblin look like themselves from Spider-Man and one and two and one, respectively. And we've also seen them have little upgrades in some of the the trailers. So, and then there's another trailer that was really that well I saw yesterday, in which it has um, the broken Goblin mask just laying on the ground. So my my assumption is that. All of the villains come through as they were and they get things happen and they get minor upgrades or do minor things to, you know, change their look and whatnot. Uh, Doc Ock has, he inherits, he gets 
uh, red in his tentacles, which uh, I've assumed is from Spider-Man's uh, nanotech suit. That is what, uh, when he's first fighting Peter, that's what it appears to be. The goblin, he gets in a, he gets, clearly he gets in the fight. The mask is broken and he takes, for some reason he decides to start wearing the purple hood. Uh, of course, we know the purple hood is to mimic his look more closely to the comic where the Green Goblin wears. Like uh, at one point, he starts off wearing like a purple uh, elf cap, and in certain cases, he's wearing a a purple cloak with a hood. So that's what he adopts. That and uh, Jamie Fox Electro, when you stop and look at it he has an arc reactor on his chest and that's where he's pulling the electricity from. So they all get little, they all get little upgrades and things happen once they come in. So it's still the same, it's still the same guys, but once they get to MCU stuff happens and they get upgrades and change their looks and that kind of stuff. So who gives them the upgrades? Cause Tony Stark's dead. Well, um, I don't, I must, well, that is a good question because of the arc reactor, first and foremost. The the stuff with Doc Ock, I just assume there's some kind of way he absorbs the uh, the nanotech from that Spider-Man suit that I hate, uh, the Iron Spider suit, because it turns red. His tentacles are turning red, so I'm assuming it comes from that. And, it's, and the clips I've seen of him with the red tentacles and what it looks to be when he gets them, it looks like it's still on the bridge. And I think that's where Peter meets him first. Uh, Goblin doesn't look like he has a whole bunch of upgrades. It's just, it looks like his mask got smashed and he decided to wear this hood around and like some goggles. The arc reactor is the biggest question mark I have because my first thought would be going with the Spider-Man movies would be that it's some of that uh, wreckage that uh, Adrian Toomes was was out and trying to steal. And Electro ends up with one of them. But how does Electro get that? I don't know. Is Adrian Toomes in the movie? Who knows? We might find out. It is going. It is only five villains at this point, not six. So we will see. What did you make of the only showing 40 minutes of the movie? Do you feel like that was a successful way to entice the press into asking questions? Or do you think that it was uh, not so great? I think it was enough to it would really it's it's enough for them to ask questions because the people the they're asking questions to the stars, producers, writers, whoever's on the press junket. They can't say they can't say spoilers about the movie anyway. So yeah, it's enough to get to get your stories out there. And it's I Marvel really does not want didn't want to have another thing like what happened with the Eternals. When uh, what was it? Vanity Fair ran that spoiler, like the day. Hell, did they run it before the movie came out? Two hours after the premiere ended. Yeah, so apparently the guy, the guy swears up and down that he didn't know it was a spoiler. And I'm like, <laughs> it's a post credit thing, man. Come on, yeah. nobody like has he not watched any of these movies? Is he like five? Because nobody talks about the point, the, the post credit uh, stingers, even. Even if you know everything in it, nobody talks about it because no, it's always treated like a surprise. Most the most people will say is you've got one or two to tell you how long to sit through the theater. You don't give away the content of it. So Marvel's like, you're not getting nothing. And I, you know, I'm fine. They the press junkets are there, yes, to to publicize and promote the movie, but the people involved can't say too much anyway so now everybody's flat on the same playing field so here's my next question chad how long has rogers the musical been on broadway oh uh, so this that's a good nope, well no way home or far far from home it's the summer vacation after the events of, of endgame they deal with a blip and all that so that puts it in modern day 2023, right? Because of the five-year gap. 
the five-year jump, right? 2023. And we know that Hawkeye takes place in, uh, what has it been confirmed? January, uh, December, Christmas 2024, I believe is what they've said, because there was a uh, Happy New Year 2025 uh, uh, sticker shown in one of the, on the set photos, and and the guys admitted that he kind of just played around with people on that, so that'd be Christmas 2024. So this is what, July, August of 2023, and there are already billboards for Rogers the Musical (laughs) around uh, New York that Spidey uh, spots on his swing way through. Well, the I don't know a lot about Broadway plays, but I know they run a long time. Uh, take Hamilton. Hamilton, I mean, Hamilton still, I think Hamilton still runs. Not with the original cast. So I would assume that this is the original cast. And they normally, the original cast normally runs for like a year. So I think that fits in the timeline. Even if it's even if they say it's like 2025, then it's like, okay, so the musical's still running, just not with the original cast. So and still and still with those crappy cutout cardboard cutouts of the Jatari. Because <laughs> they're not important. Like Rocket said, you just take out the mothership. You didn't even know that. So uh Chad, what are your what's the thing you're most looking forward to Thursday night, aside from being in a sold out theater? Okay, so um, me being me, I saw that uh, Spider-Man was trending a couple of days ago, and apparently, and I don't know, it might have been debunked by now, but uh, someone from overseas put up all the damn spoilers, and I can't help myself, and I saw them. I'm telling you all this just to say that the, the thing I'm looking most forward to is I really, if if those things aren't weren't come out to be true, I am most excited to see everyone that loves Spider-Man but has had issues with the MCU Spider-Man probably loving where Spider-Man ends at the end of this movie. That I'm really curious to see if that if this movie is able to bring everyone together by the close of business on this movie. If the spoilers that I read are true, I really think that could happen. And I think that would be, I never thought it could happen, but it might happen. And I'm really curious to see if it does happen because then everyone involved deserves a round of applause. And... Yeah, seven, seventeen seats, seventeen seats <laughs> in the body of the theater. That's all that's left. I'm gonna have to check my because I've had to uh, since change my viewing thanks to the Texas educational system. I was trying to see this movie at three thirty on Thursday, um, but my daughter's school gives all of their midterms, whether final, yeah, midterms, at the end of the day on. Uh, the last week of class which is this week meaning she doesn't get out she doesn't finish with her finals until four o'clock so there go thereby destroying me going to see the movie at 3 30 and now i have to see it at 5 30 and i'm still highly upset about it so for for the purposes of just letting you know the amc here in baton rouge has start screenings starting every hour at 3 (laughs) 30 at three o'clock so three, four, five, six, seven, all the way up. Let me see. Let me see. There's only a 3.30 IMAX and a 7 o'clock IMAX. And I just got the notification on my phone that Nightmare Alley has has uh, pushed their release screenings up to Wednesday. So they will now they will now do their preview screenings on Wednesday so that people who actually want to go see that movie and, and see it first don't have to choose between going to see No Way Home or nightmare alley do you think there's gonna be a lot of crossover for those two no i don't but like it was an issue for me because i like like i'm in the middle of this award season chase where like things have changed and like right now in this moment in time where we sit 
Nightmare Alley and West Side Story are considered front runners for the Academy Awards. And so I want to go and see them um, so that because I don't know if we're going to get an Oscar showcase again. So I want to go and see them so I can have thoughts on the conversation overall about the awards race. And I'd rather like I'd rather see that with an opening audience. So to make me choose between seeing the new Del Toro film that's up for a bunch going to be up for a bunch of Oscars or seeing No Way Home is kind of like. Eh, these are two of my favorite things. Why must I choose? <laughs> so, like, the ability to be on a theater on Wednesday night and then turn around on Thursday night is uh, is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, this one, not counting the neck breaker seats, there's probably about twenty seats open, maybe. At the this is at the three thirty. The one I was supposed to be going to in IMAX at three thirty. Uh, there's twenty seats left. I mean, just just think about that statement. Consider where we are the last 24 months, and now here we are at the end of this long, long road, and we're talking about a billion-dollar movie with a $200 million opening weekend. Yeah. Uh, the the 7 o'clock IMAX, it's only the neckbreaker seats, that very first row, and like yep. 10 in the row behind it. The rest of the uh, theater is completely sold out. Yep. And I suspect this will have strong walk-up business too. Oh yeah, there, there are going to be people that are still thinking about should we, should we, and either will will pass by, and either the crowds will scare them off, or they'll be like, "I just can't wait," and I'm and this is the kind of place I want to see it in. So, yeah, I think this is going to be this opening is going to be the closest thing to like pre-pandemic blockbuster movie opening that we've seen since what 2019 rise of skywalker as disappointing <laughs> as that opening weekend was <laughs> that it'll still be this will still be bigger but it, it's the context man the context of that many people assembled in one place to watch one thing and in the movement and the experience that we had being in a theater for in-game and being in a theater for Infinity War and the dusting and all of the things. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I can't wait to to have that feeling once again. Yeah, I, I can't wait. I'm so ready for this. All right. So that'll about do it for this week's podcast. If you want to keep up with Chad and I's rantings about movies, you can follow us <laughs> on Twitter. I am at BCW Tiger Fan. At the Mets Theory. Thank you very much. And this is a reminder to Urban Meyer that uh, Mark Sanchez can help tutor uh, Trevor Lawrence and help him become the best quarterback he can be. So you should hire Mark Sanchez as your quarterback's coach if you or, want to save your job. Or you could just quit. There's that option too. Thank you very much and have a pleasant evening.